Hello and welcome to The Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan and on this week's episode, we're going to hear three of the presentations that were presented at the Chagas Dairy B500 conference in Charleville recently. On the night, Nikki Byrne, Chagas researcher, gave an update on the Chagas Grange Dairy Research Unit and beef farmer Pat Collins outlined the type of dairy calf that he likes to purchase. It started with Alan Dillon, Programme Coordinator, discussing the Dairy B500 campaign targets and the farm financial performance. What we're trying to achieve here is to integrate dairy and beef farmers more nationally, promote best practice at farm level and ensure that we're you know, financially sustainable and, and environmentally sustainable also. We're looking at, you're looking probably at the 500, Dairy B500, where did that come out of? Um, we have an, a national target of 500 euros per hectare, excluding subsidies across all farms. That's our target. Uh, it mightn't seem dramatic, but if you look at where the national figures stand, it would be a, a huge improvement to get it up to that. The programme pillars for our Dairy B500 programme are um, the Dairy B500 demonstration farms. So we have 15 of those farms dotted around the country. I'll go a bit through their performance in a minute. We have a new demo farm, a 280 acre farm leased in uh, near Feathered in Tipperary, and there's going to be 300 calves uh, taken through the finish on that. We're going to have a, t- a KT program, upskilling farmers and personnel, uh, research and education, and the communications program. So, our demonstration farms, I suppose, while we have a national target of uh, 500 euros per hectare, our farms really, or the target we want to get them to is up near 1,000 a hectare um, to ensure that they're, I suppose, financially viable enough in the vast majority of cases that, you know, they're in a situation where they can live off the farm. Um, you know, you would need to be hitting up towards that 1,000 euros per hectare. We will be trying to incorporate the MAG curve and, you know, reduce our gas use emissions on the farm. We have heavy involvement with the signpost programme. There will be plenty of opportunity for the general public of farmers to come onto these farms in terms of discussion groups, farm walks, workshops, etc. So Ballyvaden Farm is, uh, as I said, 280 acre farm, slightly heavy actually for the, the area it is near Feathered, between Feathered and Cashel. The main focus of this farm here is to actually achieve a reduced stage of slaughter. There has been a, a target set nationally uh, by the government in terms of the Climate Action Programme that uh, we reduce the age of slaughter by around two to three months over the next number of years. And the target here is that we're going to have 100% of the calves slaughtered by 20 to 21 months of age. Uh, by you know, the next number of years. This will be done in conjunction with developing CBV targets and, and, and genetic traits. Um, there will be again an opportunity for farmers to come onto this farm once we're up and running. It's only in the development stage at the minute, but um, discussion groups, open days, etc., will be held on this farm also. So we do have a, a new Dairy Beef 500 course running. If anyone's interested, it's for new entrants to Dairy Calf Beef. We had another course day today in, in, in County Limerick. Um, so we have about 40 farmers in the books currently that have started this course and a number of others are going to start in the next couple of months. Uh, we're in service training for our advisors and we have, as John said, a discussion group model already set up there where we're setting up groups dedicated to dairy calf to beef production. If there's one thing that probably does get a bit of a gripe with some of our discussion groups on the beef side is there can be a, a, a mishmash of systems um, in terms of syst- beef systems are not as simple, I suppose, as maybe dairy or tillage or sheep, and that you have sucklers, you have bu- fellas buying stores, you have farmers that are um, buying dairy calves, etc., in one group. So, this is a streamlined group um, that will be focused entirely on dairy calf to beef. And we also have a dairy calf to beef 500 manual uh, that will be launched in the next 12 months. Uh, communications plan so, this is just a newsletter. If any of you are interested in, um, in uh, being, getting their, your name down for the newsletter, just give your name to Tommy Cox there at the back or Fergal there. Um, it'll be emailed out to you uh, once a month. And we'll also have seasonal media campaigns uh, in, in all print media. So, in terms of our demo farms, I think this is probably the biggest hub, I suppose, of what we're working on is, is these 15 commercial farms. And it's what you relate to you as a farmer a lot more. Uh, the average farm size we have is uh, 51.2 hectares, so you know probably slightly larger than the average. Big variation though in farm size goes from around 24 hectares up to 90 hectares. The, our stocking rate is at 2.3 livestock units to the hectare, and I emphasise that's a grassland stocking rate. Um, we have some farmers, including Pat Collins, who's speaking here tonight, that have, have a substantial tillage operation separately. One of our farmers is in derogation, um, and on, on, on the entire farm, and that's I suppose uh, driving up the stocking rate a small bit. Uh, in terms of our gross output, so nationally look gross output levels are quite low, uh, but we're achieving 1,358 kilos of live weight per hectare on these farms on average. 
that, that equates to nearly 3,300 a hectare of, of, in terms of value for that output. Our variable costs increased a lot last year, all right, in terms of, and that's no surprise to farmers, with feed and fertilizer taking up the biggest part of that. So nearly 2,000 a hectare is going in our variable costs. Uh, fixed costs are coming in at just over 750 euros per hectare, so with a net margin of around uh, 516 uh, euros per hectare on the farm. As you can see, our, our net margin on a kilo per lightweight basis is about just under 40 cent, so it's a quite tight margin gain. You can see there how you do need a high level of output to achieve a decent level of profitability on the farm. So this is just a comparison to see what did uh, the effects of um, 2022 have versus 2021 and if you remember back to this time last year the first murmurs of the war were starting in the Ukraine and about six weeks to a month to two months later there was concerns about availability of fertilizer availability of feed plastic diesel you could go on so what effect did it have right our gross output drops slightly on the farms and one of the reasons for that was actually we decided on these demo farms to kill cattle earlier out of the shed and the main reason was, I suppose, uh, a concern about, I suppose, number one, the, the availability of feed and fertilizer during the summer and autumn period. Uh, and secondly, meal price hadn't actually risen to any great, great level at that stage. We were still in the 300s bracket at that stage, around 330 or thereabouts a tonne. And beef price was starting to rise around now to fairly decent levels, and we were confident it was going to go to you know, close to that 5 euro bracket. It did, it did hit over the 5 euro, hit 530 in around June. Um, and a lot of our farmers did kill cattle out of sheds earlier in the year to uh, make the use of that. It did reduce our output in terms of live weight, but I think it did help the margin slightly. Um, so if we look for our livestock unit, we're at a decent level for livestock unit of close to 600 kilos. Um, our variable costs did actually rise by 27%, as you can see. And feed and fertilizer were the main cause of that. There was extra cost contractor, milk replacer, etc. But feed and fertilizer, and especially feed, really were the ones that, that, that drove that, those costs up. Uh, beef price went up by around 18% in the last year, so I think at Borbia it showed an average of 4.78 a kilo for the year, up from 4.05 the previous year. But unfortunately that wasn't enough to actually go get, to mitigate against all our extra costs. So there was a 20% drop in margin. Now it's still a healthy enough margin, we're at 516 euros per hectare, down from 6.50 per hectare. But if you asked us where, where at the start of the year we'd hope to be, we would have hoped to average probably 7,800 euros per hectare. Um, so the profitability target trends, okay, the profitability reduced overall, but there's a huge variation. So we have farmers, that have some, some farmers still have quite a low level of profitability. Um, some of those with the bull systems and heavier ground did suffer a good bit last year. Um, they don't get that early turnout that's required to make net ma good margins in the bull systems from grass. Uh, and um, the high meal cost caught them also. The highest profit was uh, 1,250 euros per hectare. That was Aidan Maguire, he's in um, County Mead. Now Aidan is a Crestland Farmer of the Year, same as Pat Collins here, won the award last year. Um, you know, achieved very high levels of weight gain from grass, top quality silage, incorporating red clover, etc. And I suppose, look, some of our steer and heifer finishers had a bit more luck than the bull finishers. The steer and heifer finishers tend to kill cattle at the higher price points of the year. Some, there were, some lads that were killing bulls tended to kill them at slightly lower price points of the year, such as September to November, when beef price dropped a bit. Um, I suppose I said I already went through there, the variable cost increases. If we, if we were to look at you know, what would have made the difference last year to maintain our margin at 650, 650 euros per hectare, about a 20 cent increase in beef price would have actually done it for us. So we averaged around just under 480. If we'd achieved an average of around five euros, um, we would have actually made more or less maintained our level of profitability on last year. And I suppose if we were to look at right where does that leave us this year, at the minute we're on a much steadier footing. We're starting with a beef price today, I think it's around 525, 525-25 base price. So we're, we're about a euro kilo higher than we were this time last year. So we're in a much better place to handle these increased variable costs and fixed costs than we were 12 months ago. These are some of the, just the major costs that went. Feed went from 540 up to 740. Now what saved us in that regard, and it's on a per hectare basis, what saved us in that regard was that the meat price didn't really juggernaut too much until the second half of the year. It was really the autumn spell that, that actually caused a lot of trouble with that when meal went up to around 450, 460 a tonne for a lot of different ration specs. Fertilizer went from 212 up to 346. It, it's not going up by the, by the same level that the, the fertilizer went up by. A couple of reasons there. Some of our guys bought fertilizer maybe a bit earlier at the time. They kind of hedged their bets the prices were going to rise. 
And the second thing is that we actually got a bit mean with fertilizer. Um, some of our farmers had worked hard on increasing P and K levels over the past few years, and there was an extra bit of fat in the system. <coughs> excuse me, to move back towards um, maybe just straight nitrogen uh, for for the year. So um, that, along with I suppose maybe incorporation of clover, better use of slurry, more lime going out, that all helped us to reduce our spend on, on chemical fertilizer, and that's something we're going to target year on year, regardless of what fertilizer prices are, given the, the climate change targets we're, we're expected to meet. Uh, milk replacer and calf ration prices, they went up significantly, they didn't go far off doubling, but uh, I suppose the general viewpoint is at the minute is that that shouldn't increase any further this year. Um, <coughs> excuse me. About three or four months ago there was, a, I suppose, a, a threat that maybe milk replacer prices would, would hike up significantly higher again, but that seems to have abated at the minute and we seem to be looking at similar prices to what farmers paid last year. Machinery running. I suppose on our farms, the big one there was diesel. Uh, there was a lot of a pullback, I suppose, on odds and ends that would normally have been done on farm, but diesel went up significantly. And vet, not much of an increase in vet prices or vet costs overall. Probably a slight increase in vaccine costs and, um, and, and dosing, but nothing dramatic. So this is something we are always asked. What are your farmers buying? So we, as I said, have 15 farms. 2,000 calves are bought on these farms, right? We're kind of going against the national trends a bit that 1,300 of those calves are Holstein Frisians, or some mix of a Holstein Frisian, British Frisian cross, you know, it varies from maybe 30, 40% British down to maybe 15, 20% British, okay, and the balance between Holstein Frisian. A little over 500 of our calves are of the early maturing variety, so that's Hereford and Angus, and the balance then would be Continentals, uh, about 100, just a little under 140 of them, so the vast majority of them are actually going into one farm in, in County Waterford, Richard Long, he's buying them off his brothers. Uh, I suppose if we're asked the reason why, uh, I suppose, why are we going towards uh, the, the Frisian more? Well, the, one of the reasons is, is, is kind of this. If we look at the sire data we're getting, 85% of our Frisians are, are, are sire BAI, 3% are stock bulls, and 12% have no sire. If we look at the early maturing varieties, you know, we're going between 12 and 20% have actually any AI sire recorded, another 49 to 50% have a stock bull sire recorded. But you know, you're talking over a third of zero data, so there's no sire, we don't know what we're getting. And in a lot of cases also, where we do actually have the sire data on them, we're quite disappointed. They're very poor quality bulls, uh, suitable maybe for heifers, negative carcass values, very easy calf at short gestation, they do the job of getting a calf out of a dairy cow or a heifer, but in terms of what they actually produce in the ground, um, when we're taking them through to slaughter, they often leave us disappointed in terms of missing out on specs, low weight gains, fattening up too soon, etc. Uh, and as well as that, they cost a lot more. So you're talking maybe 100, 100 to 150, maybe 200 more versus the Frisian at times. The Continentals, anyone who's buying them is quite happy with them. 83% um, are ice sired. The balance that weren't, I didn't have a sire recorded, would probably be ice sired as well. But um, I suppose the thing is, they're generally quite good quality bulls, uh, excellent quality in terms of carcass. Uh, they do deliver a bit of extra confirmation. And um, you know, farmers that take them are quite happy. But that those early maturing ones, if we could, I suppose, move towards having guarantee that we would get better quality sires, sire data recorded, um, and we could get them earlier in the year, they would be three things that would probably encourage our farmers to move back towards um, uh, early maturing breeds or maybe continental breeds versus the Holstein Frisian. You have to remember the most freely available animal. And, you know, born in late January and early February is still the Frisian. Now, maybe that'll change a bit this year, but up to now, that was the situation we're in. So reduced age of slaughter is something, I suppose, that's been pushed upon us and, and it's probably been embraced on our, by our farmers across the, across the programme. Uh, our average, average age of slaughter has reduced by 76 days in three years. Now, 2022 data isn't actually available yet, but I would imagine we've actually reduced it significantly again because uh, there was very few cattle killed off grass in the, in the 27 to 28 month bracket this year on our, on our demo farms. Um, the carcass weights have reduced slightly again for the, the early maturing steers and, and, uh, and the Frisian bulls. Uh, carcass weights for the heifers and Frisian bullocks have increased slightly. Uh, and there's num numerous benefits for our farmers that embrace this in terms of less days on the farm, we carry more stock, so if we're carrying, taking, I suppose, older cattle out of the system, it's not that we're reducing our stocking rates. 
We're using this opportunity to buy more calves and to carry more stock and push more output through the farm. There's less concentrates in the diet, less um, silage in the, in the animal's diet. We've got more shed space because we're killing more of grass before the second winter and it is leaving more profit. So if you look down along through it, it's, um, you know, the, 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 on the 2018 was the early maturing steers. They dropped from uh, 28 months down to 25 months. Uh, but the, the, the drop in carcass weight wasn't dramatic. This is 324 down to 310. When you take it as a three month drop in age, it's, it's not significant. Um, the, 20, the, the early maturing heifers, uh, 25 months down to 22, three months down again. 259 was the initial weight, they went up to 261. In terms of our Holstein Frisians, the average age of, of slaughter was actually 27 months. It's dropped now to 25. Interesting thing here, early maturing steers were being slaughtered at an older age than the Holstein Frisian steers. And this data actually goes out, it follows a trend nationally. On a national level, this is the same thing is happening. Um, but the, the Holstein Frisians went from 302 kilos up to 317, despite a drop of two months in, in age slaughter. And the Holstein Frisian bulls, they did drop by 25 kilos or thereabouts, but there was a two month drop in, in age slaughter also. Um, if we're to say right, what, what has happened to change this? It's management. It hasn't been sires, it hasn't been change of cow type, it's been purely management. We haven't had huge influence on these farms up to now in terms of improving the quality of the sire being used. As I said, there has been a bit more of a move towards the Holstein Frisian, but any improvements you see have been down to improved silage quality, improved grassland management, improvements in herd health, and I suppose having a bit more of a plan of when you want to kill your stock. You know, we're killing a lot more of these stock earlier in the year. We're killing a lot more, and probably a third of our Frisians are going at uh, about the 21 month mark, 20 to 21 month, month mark, uh, compared to most of them would have been killed from 24 to 28 months previously. So we're really able to reduce that age, that age of slaughter, push more animals through the system, get more kilos through, more grass in the diet, and ultimately increase the farm profit. So our challenges for our farmers, I suppose, where are they, right? We have the climate challenge, reduced age of slaughter. It has been hit, I suppose, on our farms, the demo farms, and I think everyone should take good encouragement from that. We're able to reduce the age of slaughter without reducing profitability. We're able to cut our inputs probably a bit, and there is less chemical fertilizer going into the mix, and that's a target we're going to have in the future. Uh, red clover, a number of farmers have taken on the red clover in the last year. Uh, I suppose it was incentivized by a, by a government grant. Any of them that have taken it on, yeah, very happy with it. And we'll look to probably incorporate more next year again. Um, I suppose in this system, it's different to having a dairy cow or a suckler cow. You do not have any room to make poor quality silage. Top quality silage is essential in this system. Um, white clover has been incorporated to try and reduce, I suppose, our reliance on, on chemical nitrogen for grazing. We have a number of farms that reduced uh, profitability a bit there due to drought, uh, especially in the southeast. And I suppose we're looking to see, you know, multi-species swords. There there's definitely seems to be a benefit in them with the deeper taproot in terms of um, in, ter in terms of uh, eliminating issues with drought. And something we look at a couple of these farms to see can we, we solve it in the future. The other thing there is calf exports. Will they be around in the future? Uh, that will bring, I suppose, an opportunity for farmers who want to buy calves, but I suppose the issue will be they'll probably all come in the same weeks. It'll be a, a flood of calves coming probably between uh, late February and late March, so increased capacity in sheds and labour, etc., will be, will be important for handling this. For our, for our farmers, I suppose, particularly on the programme, I suppose the big question is, what do we do next? Um, do we try to continue with our Frisians? which may become less available early in the year in future with more use of sex semen technology and uh, AI beef sires. Do we move to those beef bred calves? The big problem is, um, I suppose, we're buying the Frisians for 50, 60, 70 euros. Those beef calves from the Angus, Hereford or whatever are typically costing up to 200 euros or more. If you're buying, say, anything from 100 to 200 calves, it's a significant volume of cash to put out early in the year when it's going to take two years probably to get it back. And you have to remember, when you're buying calves, you'll have two rounds of them bought before you actually get cash back in the system. So that's something that has to be factored in when, if, if we are looking to change the system. Uh, I suppose we have Siobhan Rigg here. There will be some talk about the CBV and the DBI and the future developments of that and how we might be able to create more awareness amongst the dairy, the dairy farmers and the beef farmers about the use of these to try and, I suppose, price your calves better based on the future genetic potential. Uh, as I said, reduced age of slaughter is definitely working in terms of reducing our, 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 um, our, our, sorry, hitting our climate ambitions and increasing profits. 
Steer or heifer and bull systems is the question. Our bull systems, look, if you can get a lot of grass in the diet, as Pat Collins will outline, it can still be quite profitable. But uh, without that, you're relying on an entirely meal-based system for that. It does ask a lot of questions, especially when meal prices are as high as they are. Most of our farmers are purchasing uh, cows from dairy farmers uh, currently and have purchased agreements more or less with them. And are, I suppose if the calf is healthy, if they're available early in the season, and look, there isn't too much worry either side about price, look, it generally works very well. The relationships are working well. But something maybe that is starting to creep in a bit more now is maybe an influence on sire choice, where the beef farmers, if they're going to have continued arrangements with the dairy farmers, can go in and maybe influence what sires will be used for next year's calf crop. This would be an essential tool, I think, in terms of trying to improve the kind of calf we're buying and to create, I suppose, a, a better, more welcoming environment in terms of creating relationships between both farmers. Thanks very much. Now let's hear from Nikki Byrne, Chagas researcher, who gave an update on the Chagas Grange Dairy Beef Research Unit. I suppose the opportunity is there for both parties, both the beef farmer as well as the dairy farmer. So look, we know that we're in a relatively positive position in terms of the beef price at the moment, and we know that dairy beef is in a great position to capitalise on that. And when we look at dairy beef production, you know, we know that it it's capable of you know, fitting in very well with our grass-based standards. And from our research system, we know that we can get about 80 to 90% of the lifetime feed requirements grown on the farm in the form of grazed grass and conserved grass silage. So really, it can capitalize and be a, you know, a, a truly grass-based standard. As well as that, you know, we know the dairy beef itself, it can be one of the highest output systems in terms of carcass output. And on the back of that, you know, we can support high levels of profitability when we get um, all of the, the, the various uh, strands coming together. But also when we look at our dairy farms, you know, we're probably not in the perfect place nationally at the moment in terms of our dairy beef policy. But if we look at the, the, the resource that we have in the national dairy herd, with very, very good uh, fertility, a very early and compact calving system, and you know the, the improving reproductive uh, performance as well as emerging technologies in the area of reproduction, we have the opportunity to very rapidly and widespread uh, get widespread improvement in terms of the calf uh, crop quality. So really, we're going to outline this evening what some of those improved uh, quality calves can contribute to an overall farm system. And I suppose John said earlier, there's about 1.1 million calves available for dairy beef production on an annual basis. But we know that about a third of those remain on dairy farms, you know, up to uh, beyond weaning. Uh, so they're brought through and sold as weanlings in the autumn. They're either sold as stores the following spring, or in fact, 12% of them are brought right through to finish on the farms they're born on. And really, those farms, we probably don't see any issue in terms of the calf quality crop. These are farms that have probably maintained you know, a, a, an additional enterprise on their farm using high quality genetics and, and, and bringing them through to, to a later stage. And then we have another third of calves that are traded off the farm you know, under six weeks of age. And those are you know, typically into our dairy beef systems. And really we think there's opportunity for further growth in the number of calves that trade farm to farm at that young age. And if we look at the figures at the moment, when the ICBF looked at it, there's only about 10,000 farmers purchasing calves on an annual basis. So it's a relatively low enough number that are going out buying calves and artificially rearing them. And you know, that's a number, you know, that maybe not necessarily, we don't have to increase the number of farms engaged in that. But I think when we look at the numbers of calves that each of those are purchasing, on average, they're purchasing about 37 calves each. And they're probably, you know, a, a, going alongside another enterprise, be it suckler cows, sheep, or tillage, on those farms. But I think there's opportunity to increase the number of calves going onto those farms, and maybe increase levels of specialization on those farms. And I suppose, where are those extra calves, you know, to come into the dairy beef system is going to come from? You know, I think we probably need to reduce our dependence on live exports. Because, you know, look, year on year, they're very volatile in terms of the numbers they take. It can fluctuate from 100,000 up to 180,000. 
and week on week if ferries are going or not going, we can see you know, the effect that has on calf markets. So really, I think we need to be putting steps in place to reduce our reliance on those easy outlets, and as well as you know, those early slaughter systems, which are, you know, both of those practices are, are going to be phased out through policy change, you know, it, it, mainly over the next number of years. So really what we have to do is substitute those low-value dairy animals in exchange for high-merit beef cross animals. And there's real value to be got from those high-merit beef animals you know, within a calf-to-beef system. But I suppose, look, there, there has been many challenges facing dairy beef producers. Uh, they come from a range of areas. And a combination of those challenges have resulted in a lot of farmers opting out of dairy beef systems. So when the ICBF looked at it over a five-year cycle, based on year one versus year five, only about 40% of the farmers continued rearing calves between year one and year five. So that's a big challenge, and that's a challenge that my research program is focused on, is to try and you know, improve the experience, the profitability of those farmers at purchasing rearing calves. But I suppose look, one of the big ones has been poor animal performance. So we know that we've seen an increase in the percentage of, of uh, dairy beef or origin uh, nationally. Uh, so any you know, decline in carcass confirmation or weight, you know, while numbers are increasing, we really feel it on a national basis. So we have to be conscious of that. As the proportion of dairy beef increases in the national kill, we have to ensure that we're not getting any decline in the carcass performance. But I suppose the carcass performance and the quality of the animal it's only part of the picture. And really, you know, the genetics only explains about 46% of the variation in the animal's own performance, be it carcass weight or slaughter age. We have to look at the health of the animals and the way that we feed and manage those animals from arrival on farm right through to slaughter. And, you know, a combination of those factors will determine the success of our system. But we can all work together to improve, you know, the, the quality of the calf in terms of the genetics, the health status of that calf and the nutrition of that calf to ensure that they're capable of achieving their, their lifetime gains. And that you know, starts with the dairy farmer and feeds through to the beef farmer. And really, you know, we have to start building the value of our calves from the day of conception. So the straw that we use in the animal, the time we use the straw, is that going to be a January or an April-born beef cross calf? There's a big, big difference. So, uh, and then the health of that calf. How can we ensure that this is a really healthy quality product um, and uh, will go on and perform within a dairy beef system? So really, you know, we have to pull together, get better integration of our needs, and that will improve the profitability of both the dairy farmer as well as the beef farmer. And I suppose a, combina a combined effort will really go and help in terms of our environmental challenges. If we get better quality calves that can be finished at younger ages with lower levels of concentrate on the dairy beef farm, you know, if they're gone at a younger age, that's going to take pressure off our national uh, herd. And, you know, it may well be the solution to maintaining uh, cow numbers. And also, the social acceptance. You know, it is not acceptable, you know, to, to be producing animals of a negative economic value, no matter what way you want to look at it. When there is freely available, low-cost technologies that can correct that. So the social acceptance as well of the beef that we produce. Dairy beef, you know, we can produce 80 to 90% of their diet can come from grass grown on the farm. Hugely uh, favourable, you know, internationally. So look, there, a, a better uh, effort on everyone's behalf, you know, can improve those three pillars of sustainability. But I suppose a lot of people opt in and opt out of the whole uh, debate maybe based on cow type. You know, we, we may hear that, look, I've crossbred herd, there's really no point in me improving my, my beef programme. But it's quite the contrast to that. Um, and also, we probably get an attitude, you know, where there is maybe a, a crossbred type herd using high merit beef bulls, we may get farmers still, you know, opting not to, to, to view those calves based on the assumption that they're low merit. But I suppose when, when, when uh, Dunabury and, and Siobhan Ring looked at it from the national population, you know, we can see what effect the sire 
breed has across different cow types in this table when slaughtered at 20 months of age. And if we take, you know, this Angus sire used on two different cow types, so the same bull used on a Holstein Frisian cow, or the same bull used on a, on a 50-50 Jersey cross Frisian, we can see at the same age, there's a reduction of 14 kilos in the carcass weight. So it's, it's not a massive gap to close. And we could close that gap quite easily by putting more emphasis on the sire that was used to counteract that, uh, that lower carcass merit of the Jersey influence. That's just an extreme example. So it just shows you know, that we shouldn't be using the same bull on every cow. You know, there's a, there's a spreading lactation number throughout our herds, so there's different levels of risk acceptable on different cows. So we need to tailor, uh, you know, the, the sire to a particular dam. And we can do that across the season as well in terms of gestation length. So if we look at this table, um, you know, we can see the carcass weight PTA or the carcass weight merit of Holstein Frisian and Angus bulls on the active bull list. And we can see the number of animals, you know, that occupy the different weight categories. And we can see in the green bars, we have our Holstein Frisian animals, and in the black bars, we have our Aberdeen Angus animals. And we can see that there's an overlap, you know, in, in terms of the carcass merit of Angus bulls and Holstein Frisian bulls on the active bull list. So we have to be really diligent, you know, just by selecting a beef bull doesn't mean that we're adding you know, necessarily extra carcass weight or greater efficiency to our farm system. So we really have to be choosing the top end of those beef bulls that are available on the active bull list in terms of their carcass weight, carcass conformation, and ensure that they do inject greater efficiency into our animals. So that's a really, really important one, and I think it's a really possible one if you look at offering of bulls that are there available at the moment, you know, there's no excuse for using, you know, Angus or beef bulls of very low or negative carcass weight values. You know, they're out there um, and we have to use them. So I suppose we started a study in Grange uh, back, you know, on the back of dairy cow, uh, you know, expansion in the dairy herd. We wanted to see what is the, the, the merit of these animals in an overall farm system. So we assembled animals, you know, of the day in terms of genetic merit. You know, they were commercially relevant. And we wanted to assess the physical and financial performance of dairy beef calves by a range of bulls of divergent genetic potential for carcass traits. And we wanted to assess what those differences meant to the overall farm system in terms of profitability and, and uh, uh, profitability in the main. And the two breeds that we picked been the main dairy beef breeds um, coming from the National Dairy Herd were Holstein Frisian and Aberdeen Angus. But I suppose within the Angus breed, we selected from the active bull list of bulls that were been used commercially on the dairy herd, we picked high and low for carcass weight and carcass conformation, and we assembled them you know, on their own farm systems. And we compared them across uh, to a, a real high EVI uh, Frisian uh, system as well. Um, and we stopped these animals, you know, probably overall a 2.8 to 3 livestock unit system. So we had a very, very high stocking rate, but a grass-based system. And we did that to, you know, really pressurise the animal groups to see what their true genetic potential was, you know, when exposed, you know, to, to relatively high level of, of, of uh, pressure. And also, we said nutrition plays a really important role, you know, in, in the success of our systems. So we assigned each animal when they came in onto the farm, either onto four litres of milk, fed twice, or split between two feeds in the day, or the equivalent of half a kilo of milk powder, or one kilo of milk powder, fed uh, via eight litres of, of milk, split between two feeds. And we looked at the effect of these two different milk feeding levels on the lifetime performance of the animal. And we, we looked at some of those results. So just to continue on with the milk feeding, you know, this is one take home, you know, provided the calves come into you at an advanced weight and have been fed adequately on the farm at birth, you know, on the dairy beef farm, you know, from day 25 to 30, we have the opportunity to reduce milk volume back to that four litre treatment, replacing the, 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 the reduced milk volume with high quality calf concentrate and straw. And what we found, that four litre milk treatment we found that those animals achieved the exact same live weight gain over their lifetime 
the same age as daughter, so we found no negative impact on the, the animal performance. And we'll just look at what it meant in terms of economics a little later on. But when we looked at the different animal genetic groups, look, we probably didn't get a lot between those high and low merit animals that were available at the time. We had relatively small differences. You know, only five kilos difference in carcass weight at the exact same age. But we could see, you know, a slight injection of confirmation. And that confirmation, you know, really does make a big difference to the overall uh, value of the animal and really maximizes the price per kilo. Uh, so really, if we compare the high merit Aberdeen Angus to our Holstein Frisian system, you know, both of them were killed at really, really young ages. Our Holstein Frisians came in just under 23 months, which we probably didn't expect, and our Angus is at 22 months. But really, we can see at a very similar carcass weight, the reduction in confirmation of that Holstein Frisian really limited carcass value. So that is probably, and the extra fee, intensive feed days, you know, reduces, you know, the, the economic efficiency of those. So just to summarise, the Holstein Frisians, on the exact same level of management, they took 30 days longer, that incurred a higher stopping rate on the system, they consumed more concentrate than the, the Holstein Frisians, uh, but still very good, 85% of their lifetime feed requirement was grown on the farm, whereas the Varanguses, uh, you know, a lower stopping rate, a very low concentrate input, 550 kilos from birth right through to slaughter. And 87% of their lifetime feed requirement was grown on the farm. That's including milk replacer, concentrate, everything. And when we look at that milk replacer treatment that we fed, you know, and really our objective there is to, you know, to aid the transition from pre-ruminant to ruminant. We, we, we manipulate rumen development by promoting solid feed intake from an early stage in the calf. And getting good rumen development would allow that calf convert graze grass or cheapest source feed, you know, much better throughout its lifetime. So that four litre treatment had no effect on animal performance. They consumed 20 kilos less milk replacer over the entire rearing phase in exchange for consuming 25 kilos of additional uh, calf uh, concentrate. But ultimately we saved 33 euros uh, per calf. I suppose when we look at the contribution of the different genetics to the overall farm system in terms of profitability and environmental efficiency. But I suppose if we just look at the carcass output just to show that you know, dairy beef, it's not a kind of a compromise or a second cousin of your, your standard beef system. It's a really, really high output system. And Pat Collins will go through that. You know, he's probably up at maybe even higher levels with his system uh, you know, in terms of carcass output. So our Holstein Frisians were 960, our high merit Angus 976. Our systems now today with better genetics, killing them younger, we're, we're exceeding 1,000 kilos of carcass output. So if we put that in context with, with Alan said that 1,300 kilos of live weight output was the average of the, the demonstration farms, we're probably producing in the region of 2,000 kilos of uh, live weight per hectare from the system. And on the back of that you know, high level of output, we can see that the high merit animal had the highest profitability, a 720 euros net margin, uh, 120 euros better than the low merit angus, but really importantly, about 260 euros better than the Holstein Frisian. And that is at the low beef price that we experienced back in 18 and 19 with a 370 base, but obviously with lower concentrate and fertilizer inputs as well at the time. And I suppose if we take and look at the high Angus versus the Holstein Frisian in terms of the environmental efficiency, we found that the Angus was about, had 10% less carbon equivalent per kilo of beef produced. So that's going to be a really important figure going down the line. And I suppose another metric that we're probably, um, you know, sometimes it comes up in discussion, um, is the level of human edible food that goes into producing a kilo of beef. And we can see that the Holstein Frisian system is a net consumer of human edible protein. Whereas at the high merit beef genetics, they upgrade, you know, they produce extra human edible protein from what they've consumed. So that's a really important credential, especially within Europe where you have the option of maybe growing a crop or having grazing animals, you know, and that's what we're competing with. And um, so really, we're making very good use of the feeds that are going into those beef cross animals and upgrading it into a more nutrient-dense uh, product. 
So just from our initial study, you know, we can see that dairy beef, you know, it is a really, really high output grass-based system. There's the potential we found here to reduce slaughter age. We intended on killing those cattle at 24 or maybe even 28 if we had to or whatever. But we found that, wait, these cattle are fit and they're going to achieve their target weights at much younger ages without designing it that way. So there was the potential to reduce slaughter age. And the improved confirmation and lower input costs, you know, does improve the profitability, and that's what favours your beef cross animal over your dairy dairy genetics. So beef sired animals are net producers of human with edible protein. So look, we, we got very curious, and uh, we worked with our geneticists at identifying you know, elite animals in terms of slaughter age, and we assembled them in a new study in Grange to evaluate the potential of genetics and feeding strategy on reducing the slaughter age you know, of dairy beef systems. So we had three animal groups again on the same type of farmlets that we outlined. But we wanted to see, you know, can we treat these differently in terms of the concentrate inputs over their lifetime to try and really tweak things and reduce the slaughter age. So we ran one system that was a grass-only diet. So the calves are put out to grass, they're weaned off concentrate two to three weeks post-turnout, and they remain on grass only for the first and second grazing season. We ran another group, an intermediate group, where we supplemented calves throughout the first grazing season uh, and grass only for the second. And what we found was the grass only and the intermediate group performed the exact same over their lifetime. So with high levels of grassland management, with well-reared calves that could convert and utilize that grass, we found no benefit of supplementing with a kilo a day throughout the first grazing season, provided you, know, you have a system where you have you know, uh, calves that are born relatively early in the spring. You have calves that are well reared and capable of converting grazed grass into additional lightweight gain. Then we had our high group, so these got a kilo a day as a calf throughout the first grazing season, and we reintroduced concentrate from the 1st of July in the second grazing season to see could we get these animals slaughtered without the need of going into a shed for a second year. And we really did that with great success. So if we look at the two the early age of slaughter animals that we identified, we found that they grew at a, at a higher growth rate at every stage throughout their life. So they had an accelerated growth rate from birth right through to slaughter. And really, what that meant to us was that, you know, we can see the early animal always has a carpet weight advantage. And regardless of management, we found that they probably had about 25 to 30 kilos additional carcass weight when killed at the same slaughter age. So if we were to close that gap at 25 kilos, how long would it take us? You know, we're probably gaining just half a kilo of carcass weight a day. We could have an extra, you know, you know, three to four weeks on those animals to close that gap and get them killed at the same carcass weight. So we can see that the, the, the genetics are, are, are working. Um, so you can see that carcass weight difference at a similar age and, and confirmation score. And so look, we can see what genetics can, can do there under the same levels of management. And then if we move on to where we supplemented animals from early July in the second grazing season, we can see what the high merit animals allow us to do there. We can produce a 306 kilo carcass at just over 20 months of age avoiding the need for an indoor period at the end of the second grazing season. We could do it on the lower merit animal that we had identified, but we did it at the expense of carcass weight. So we had, you know, half of those animals are under spec in terms of their carcass weight figure. You know, so really the high merit animal gives us greater flexibility to assign them to a range of different finishing strategies. So the optimum management differs based on animal type. So we could see that potentially, you know, a conventional indoor period for that later age slaughter animal was, was probably a more economically sustainable system. And look, we're just finalizing the final year slaughtering from this study. Um, but based on the type of performance we're getting, you know, preliminary analysis you know, these systems, high output systems, early age of slaughter, you know, they're, they're capable, you know, in the region of 1,000 to 1,400 kilos net margin per hectare, despite high fertilizer and feed costs. Because we're not totally reliant on them, we can displace them out of our system, 
with these animals that can flesh at an earlier stage, you know, we have an advantage in that high input environment. So really, the early age of slaughter steers, they consistently achieved higher average daily gains. They had favorable grazing traits. They were more aggressive grazers. And they were more efficient with how they used that grass and converted it better into weight gain. And when we supplemented them with concentrate, it didn't displace as much grass out of the diet as what happened with the lower murdered animals. And they could produce an inspect carcass in terms of confirmation, weight, and fatness before the end of the second grazing season and avoided all that cost of going indoors. And this is just an example of what we can get from our dairy herd. These are animals drafted at 19 months of age, 360 kilos of concentrate into their diet in addition to high quality autumn grass, you know, killed in middle of September, you know, and that's what we could be getting, you know, nationally from the dairy herd. Um, and I suppose the commercial beef value, you know, it's going to be a very, very important tool, uh, you know, in terms of identifying these high merit type animals. And I suppose to generate animals of a high commercial beef value, and Siobhan will go through it in greater detail, but to identify and develop these high beef value animals, we need to start looking at the selection indexes that we use to pick the bulls for use in the dairy herd. And I suppose the DBI is the index to go to for that. But I suppose we have to use it very, very wisely. You know, it's, it's, it should be a 50-50 index, you know, focused on calving and carcass traits. But really, if we're interested in maximizing the commercial beef value, it's the beef sub-index that we really need to be focusing on in terms of improving the calf quality crop, obviously while maintaining your calving traits. But really, I'd be looking, you know, to call a bull a balanced sire, I'd be looking for an animal to have at least 50% of their overall index coming from the uh, beef sub-index. And I suppose the beef sub-index, or the, the, the commercial beef value, is nearly like the, the dairy beef index if we omit and remove the calving traits. So just keep the beef efficiency traits in terms of feed intake, carcass weight, confirmation, as well as slaughter rage. So we remove the calving traits um, because there's no need for the, the calving traits in the non-breeding animal. So the commercial beef value, it's, it's a non-breeding index and it provides us with an estimate of that animal's or that calf's own physical performance potential taking into combination the, both the dam and the sire. So it's a really, really important tool that dairy farmers need to be conscious of generating high CBV animals. And as well as that, the farmers buying the calves need to demand and identify animals that are of a high commercial beef value. And the reason they need to do that is when we looked, uh, when Alan Toomey did this analysis on the performance of the Chagas range animals over the last number of years. And when he assigned the animals to a very low to very high a category of commercial beef value, he found that the very high animals produced an extra 21 kilos carcass nine days younger. So that just shows the potential difference of those animals. So we're getting additional carcass value through the extra carcass weight, and we're doing it from fewer feed days. So a combination of those, you know, are going to be really, really important. And it costs no extra to use the bull that generated animal in the very low category over the very high category. So just to conclude, look, a renewed emphasis on, on, on dairy beef is really important to future-proof, you know, both beef and dairy. And there's big benefits to come for both from it. Uh, but high merit beef genetics, you know, they're necessary in, in both operations. But they're low cost, they're proven technology, and, you know, they're going to go a long way to improving our, our sustainability and, and taking the pressure off. Uh, but every herd is opportunity, you know, to add further value at, at no cost. And look, calf genetics are one of them, calf health, the time when the calf is born, different aspects like that are really important as well. And just one thing I have always told them, um, look, you know, you're not lucky to get a customer for your calf, or you're not lucky to make a profit. It's when, you know, we're faced with opportunity, which the opportunity is there now, 
but you have to put in preparation to capitalize on that opportunity and to create your own look. So really that's something, you know, each of us uh, needs to go home and look at what, how can we prepare better to harness things. Thank you. Finally, Dairy Beef 500 participant Pat Collins outlines the type of dairy beef calf that he likes to purchase. We're based in Castamarter and farming in partnership with my father, Matt. Uh, we've about 36 hectares of grassland. Um, in 2012 or 13, I went to Kildalton and I did my green cert. I did um, a certificate in crop production and machinery management. So cast went on my mind when I did that and I, but um, I came home then and I started farming myself and the first thing I did was went out and bought a couple of dairy calves. So I grew that then and I was farming my own way and last year then I uh, went into partnership with my father Matt. We're fairly high output, high input on the beef side or, thick, or uh, land lease and labour cost alone is 850 but I'll talk more about that then. So our system is uh, mainly bull beef production, um, predominantly Frisian bulls. Um, most of our grass ground is leased, so we have to be high output. Uh, last year we finished about 200 Frisian bulls, um, killing them between 16 and 20 months. Uh, very few at 16 nowadays, it's hard to get them, but um, 18 to 21 months is sort of just split now. Um, do a few Angus heifers as well, they'd be killed off grass. So uh, I joined the Tagus Green Acre program in 2019. That's been brilliant, I've really enjoyed it. And anyone thinking about uh, getting into a program like this, I'd strongly advise it. So um, we focus mainly on good grassland management. We try to get as much weight on as possible off of grass. Um, even though being a tillage enterprise and we do we do grow we grow aim to grow everything that we feed on farm this year we hope to achieve that with red clover uh, silage being our protein we still aim to get as much weight as we can on the grass because it's the cheapest weight gain especially Frisians they're bred over the last number of decades to utilize grass so we're capitalizing on that uh, this year we hope to increase our stock numbers, we're going to buy about 300 calves, not, not sure the split yet, it'll be probably 240 Frisians and maybe the rest will be Angus or Hereford depending on price and what we can get. Um, our target is to have a full time income out of farming even though we do have other bits and pieces going on as well but we have three full labour units on the farm and it's the, our target is to have a, a full living for trade. So. Um, our profitability has been up and down. We need a lot of investment in uh, the beef side of the enterprise. When, when I went into CAS, we didn't have any buildings and we're still building them up along there. Look, with profitability, I always look at things over five years. I don't ever single out here. This year was probably the best year I've had farming on a but in figure terms, our profitability is down a little bit. We have made a good bit of investment. So we're, as Nikki alluded to earlier on, we are very high, have a very high gross output per hectare. I suppose being a bull beef system, we have it tailored in a way that we can maximize stocking rate for our sheds and for our grassland. And we're tweaking it all the time. And it's just all about being really efficient and getting every last bit out of grass and out of the sheds and so on and so forth. Um, we have we try and get our animals out for as long as possible. We've bulls out, we let them out. When light raining bulls, we let them out last week on the cover crops. They're grazing away now. They'll graze away in one. They'll go onto grass and they'll fly on the grass. Um, so it's all about getting them out for as long as possible and keeping the feed costs down. Um, when we go out to buy cash, look. The first and foremost is they have to be healthy. That's the most important thing. We buy all our calves off farm. We've never bought a calf off a dealer or out of a mart, and I don't ever intend to do that. We buy off mainly the same farms every year, and we have a good relationship with them. Um, one thing that we're really after getting strict on this year is we won't take a calf a day under three weeks of age. There's a, a massive difference between a calf three weeks of age and two weeks of age. Calf three weeks of age is 50% older than a calf two weeks of age. So it's a massive difference. 
Uh, when we get them, we try uh, we try and eliminate as much stress as possible, even down to when they're in the trailer on the way to the farm, on the way to our place, we put as much straw as we can into the trailer, try and keep them warm. Our travel times are fairly short, and so we're not too bad. But when we get them on the farm, we let them settle in for a couple of days. Uh, we have an automatic feeder, so if they're going on the feeder, we train them into that, let them settle down for a few days, and we vaccinate them then for all the pneumonias, and we give them a shot, or we give them a dose for coccidiosis. Three weeks later, then we'll give them the booster vaccine and we'll uh, give them something for lice as well. The type of calf we buy in general, as I said, is uh, Holstein Frisians, the majority of them. Um, there's loads of them around in early January. They suit our bull beef system. Um, they're fairly good value. They must be three weeks old, as I said. And look, we're buying them all off local farmers. Um, we try them in a, get them in as big a batches as possible, so just to try and cut down on the amount of sources we're getting them from. And look, they have to be valued for whatever age they are. If they're a bit older, we've no problem giving an extra few pounds from But the main thing is they have to be healthy calves. Good bouncy calves, they'll run out of the trailer for you. You'll have no bother with them. Frisian bulls, why Frisian bulls, I suppose, look, they're not everyone's cup of tea, but they suit us. As I said, there's a lot of them available early in January. We like to get as many calves as we can early. We have the back walk in them before we get busy at the tillage. That's a big thing. For a bull beef system, we're paid on sort of a flat price for P's, O's and R's. So an O minus or an O plus, there isn't that much of a difference. They fit in well to that. And they're great converters of grass into meat, which is a big thing for us, you know. Um, we're not overly worried about what colour they are once they're valued. Uh, we Angus heifers and Angus bullocks, we do do a few, but predominantly Frisians. If I was to change breed from Frisian to uh, Angus or Hereford or Continentals, I suppose one of the big things is they'd have to be valued relative to a Frisian. Uh, Nikki said that 150 is the value in the difference in value between a Frisian and an Angus. Uh, sometimes it's there's a difference of 250 in what you'll have to give them. So I think that's where it falls down. I don't know about having 300 uh, Anguses or 300 Herefords or even 300 Continentals if they came in at the right money. If there was more genomic testing going on, and if you were sure of the uh, the, the beef value of animals, it would definitely be something that would entice me away from Frisians. If I buy a Frisian, it does exactly what it says in the tin. They're a bit plain, they're a bit tall, but they do exactly what I expect them to do. So that's a big bonus. Uh, summary of our farm. Look, we're fairly lucky. It is fairly profitable. Um, calf health is paramount to that. Healthy calves are profitable calves, full stop. Um, we've had a couple of different issues over over the years. Uh, I suppose overstocking sheds and things has been one downfall. But once we got that right uh, and have healthier calves gone out to grass at eight, 10 weeks of age, you have to back broken their health then. And uh, calves that get sick when you're rearing them, they're just, it's very hard to pick up the stack after that. Uh, we're open to purchasing better calves if, if they're available and if the price is realistic and if, if we're sure that they are, they do have better genetics, that they're not just a black calf, you know. Um, Frisians are working well for us, we like them, but that's not to say they're the only shop in town. If there was another option, we'd be quite happy to take it. And we're open to increasing numbers every year. Look, we've a uh, big enough operation, we've plenty of help. Um, so we're quite happy to keep going once the operation is profitable. Look, there's great technologies out there. There's the C CBV and all these different indexes there now. And I think there is a great opportunity for dairy farmers and beef farmers to work together. They don't necessarily have to be contacts in place, but just to talk to pick the right bulls that they will, so will produce a profitable animal for uh, beef animals. Thank you. That's all for this week's episode. Further updates from the Dairy B500 programme 
are available on the Chagas website and the link is included in the podcast text. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our Beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.